Welcome to Sulphur Springs Baptist Church Sermon Audio. For more information, please visit our website at sulphurspringsbc.com. If you have your Bibles, turn to Philippians chapter 1. Some good singing there. Can't even walk without him holding my hand. I hope that daily you're walking with the Lord. Hope that daily you're having a time where you're spending with the Lord. That's the only way we can go through life as a Christian. And uh, this verse has been on my mind for several weeks. And Lord brought it back up to me this past week. And so I've started working on it a little bit. And so if you have your Bibles, we're going to read Philippians chapter 1 verse 27. Just one verse this morning. And then if you'll stand with us as we read this one verse. Philippians 1, verse 27. Only let your conversation be as it becometh to the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Father, I pray that your blessings upon this word. Help you pray, Father, that you would help me this morning as I preach your word. It's in your name we pray. Amen. You can be seated this morning. Paul was writing to the church of Philippi, and he wrote these words saying, whether I come to you and see you or else be absent. And I think over these last couple of months, these words have rang truer in my mind, and I hope in your mind and heart than any other time, I think, in our Christian life, whether I come and see you or else be absent. We went 10 Sundays without being in church, not being able to visit people, not being able to go out and see how people were doing, not being able to go to hospitals, still not being able to go to hospitals, not being able to do things that we would normally do. And when we think of this phrase, whether I come and see you or else be absent, as a church family, we were physically separated. But there is a time now where we've come back together. And as I... began reading this verse and began studying through uh, two introductory statements that I want to look at before we get into the main part. I hope you have, if you picked up a um, bulletin, I've got notes provided for you in there. Uh, Very simple, very short message, I think, Uh, but it's very, it was very impactful for me. And the way this verse starts out, it says, only let. He starts out by saying that Only let your conversation, and a lot of times in our life when we think of that conversation, we know what conversation is, right? If I were to go up to my son and I were to say, Brody, what does a conversation mean? He would say, well, it's talking between one another. It's me and Jade having a conversation. It's me and my dog having a conversation and him licking me back. And that's a conversation, whatever. But when we actually look at this word, it's not just words, it's our actions, it's our deeds, it's everything that we do in life. So when we look at this verse, it says, only let your actions, your conduct, whatever you want to put there, be as it becometh to the gospel of Christ. So when I ask you this challenge this morning, is your actions and is your conduct becoming to the gospel of Christ? Because if we're going to strive together as a church, we must be letting our conversation point people to the gospel. We must let our conversation, our conduct, our actions point people to Jesus Christ. 
I try. I'm not perfect at this. Uh, but I try an easy way is when we go to a restaurant, I try to ask the waitress or waiter if they have anything to pray for, for their family or whatever, just to start a gospel conversation. I took a couple out to uh, Cracker Barrel for a marriage counseling just this last week, and lady came, and her name was, it uh, started with an M. I can't remember. She was a, it was a mixed lady. I couldn't remember her, her actual name. I just know it started with an M. And she said, you know, I'm really struggling with this pandemic because I'm diabetic, but I have to work. She worked at Cracker Barrel. She said, so if you'll just pray with me for that, I've got some friends. And so I was able to talk to her, able to go through a little bit of Jesus and pray with her. But it's just those little things of starting those gospel conversations. I was able to take Zach and Lucas golfing this past week in Charlotte. And uh, the, we were at hole 18. It was a black guy that was cutting some some shrubs and cleaning up around and I looked at him I said man you have to be hot he's in a long sleeve shirt long sleeve pants mask on hat on I said man you got to be burning up so he started talking with us and he showed us pictures of when he was uh, working at Trump golf course down in Florida and how he met Tiger Woods and he's met all these great people just because of that little thing and then right before we ended the conversation I just sort of felt in my spirit Ask him about church. So I said, hey, man, Timothy was his name. I said, Timothy, do you go to church anywhere? He said, man, I just moved back to North Carolina. Been here a couple of years. Haven't really found a church. So I know of a couple of churches in Charlotte. So I mentioned one. And he said, hey, man, I'm going to go check that out. We continued our golf. It's ways that we can let our actions and our conversations point toward the gospel. Second thing, as I read through this, it talks about whether I come and see or absent. And then it says this statement, stand fast. I want to challenge us, are we standing fast? This is a military term, if you look at it, and it is a position, it's referring to your position. Are you standing fast? This is a call for a oneness in battle. For a oneness pointing towards the battle that's going to come. So I want you to think of it like this, and I want you to be thinking of, of teamwork and, and sports maybe this morning. I'm going to end sort of in that area. Uh, but when you think of oneness, and I, I began thinking through as I was studying this, uh, I love coaching. I love being around young men and, and coaching football and stuff. And you can see the players, and, and whether it's softball, basketball, track, whatever, you can see the players that spend time in the offseason developing themselves for the season that's about to happen and when they develop themselves and the battle comes you've seen that they've prepared so this term here is saying stand fast this is calling for a oneness of us in the battle to say are you prepared for the battle now this is a personal call but it's also for the local church it could be as a combined effort as we send missionaries are we standing fast are we helping people and Paul gives us three components. He doesn't just say, let your conversation be unto gospel, stand fast, now good luck, go see what happens. Because Paul always gives how to do these things. So he gives us three things here that how we can create gospel unity, how we can strive together, as I've titled this message, out of this verse, and I, I sort of wrote this subtitle, you don't have to do this alone. How many times do we feel and do we think that when we're doing something, we're on an island by ourselves. I'm the only one doing this. No one else is doing this. 
whatever you feel at that time, you feel like that sometimes you're by yourself. But the Bible gives us clear instruction that we're to strive together and we're to do this life together as a church. And so as we move into the three things, you can probably look at this verse and tell me my three points because they're laid out in Scripture. I didn't do anything extra here. The first one is this, one spirit. One spirit. If we're going to have effective gospel efforts, we must be spirit-filled laborers for Christ. This is vital that everyone is involved in the church and everyone is involved in the gospel work that is to see the gospel go forward. We must surrender our lives to the work of the Holy Spirit. We must surrender our lives to the work of the Holy Spirit in our personal life. That's why I, I, I can't even walk without him holding my hand. That's not just on Sunday. That's an everyday walk. Ephesians 5.18 says this, And be not drunk with wine, where is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. As our church enters a new season of returning to worship over these last couple of weeks, as we enter in a new season of searching for a new senior pastor, we must begin with corporate worship and we must begin to begin loving one another because we've been absent from one another. Imagine you've dated someone for a year and a half and all of a sudden for three or four months, you don't see that person, you don't talk to that person, you don't text that person. It's going to be a little different when you come back together for that first time. And so as a church and we come back together, we must begin to desire to be a church that is unified. I'm not going to guilt any person to come back into church. It's not my job to guilt anyone. It's not my job to uh, convict anyone. That's the Holy Spirit's work. Now, I desire that our church be a family that is unified, a family that is loving one another, a family that is helping one another. As multiple individuals are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, we began to work together for a unified group in one spirit. Now, we're going to continue our online services, and I know we're going to continue to see hundreds of people watch online, and, and that's great, and that's primarily for our immune deficient people who can't be in a corporate worship setting. It's not for us to go to the lake or go to the, the creek or whatever and watch church there. It is still commanded that we come together in one spirit and worship under one roof. And so God is, is driving us in that way. And so we must be a people that is one spirit that is working together through the Holy Spirit's power to see lives changed. Second thing is this, not only is one spirit, but one mind. One mind. Even surrendered Christians can find themselves pulling in different directions than one another. How many of you in here are married? Raise your hand. Okay, most of the people in here are married. How many of you that have been married have saw differently than your wife or your husband and you wanted to do one thing and he wanted to do the other raise your hand at some point in your marriage okay i think every person that's married sees that okay and so as you see that and all of a sudden you know you want to go to outback but she wants to go to chili's okay and you have a, an argument there okay or she wants to watch this movie and you want to watch this movie and now there's an argument or uh you want to save money for a vacation and she wants to go spend money 
okay, and there's an argument there, okay, I, I tell all of my marriage counseling, the number one thing you're going to argue about is money, okay, it's just a bottom line, you're going to make money, you're going to want to spend money differently, and you're going to have arguments about it, okay, so in one mind, people still see things different, so as a church made up of 200 members, we're all going to have 200 different visions for our church, Okay, so how do we bring those 200 visions and bring them into one unified vision as Dr. Pill talked about on Wednesday night? How do we bring that into one reality? It's very simple. The church in the Bible even talks about this. It's crazy. When the beginning church, you had a group of people that said, you know what? The gospel is only good for the Jews. We're only going to take the gospel to the Jews. Everyone else doesn't need it. And you had another group of Christians that said, you know what? The gospel is only going to be for the Gentiles. The Jews rejected Jesus. We don't even know, need to go back to the Jews. Let's just go to the Gentiles. We're Gentiles, just in case you didn't know that. And then all of a sudden, there was a man named Paul that came in and said, Hey, guys, the gospel is for everyone. The gospel is not for just the Jews. It's not just for the Gentiles. It's for every single person that wants to accept it. And so that was actually a convention, a meeting that met. And as the Bible was being written because this was real-time Bible written, they went to the Bible to make their decision. It's a crazy thing. And they said, you know what? The thing that we should do is look at the authority of Scripture and make our decision based on the Scripture. And if we make our decision based on this wonderful book that we have, we're going to be in one mind. Because if I look at the Scripture in Philippians 1.27 and I say, you know what? This is what the Bible says we should do. And my wife looks at it and says, hey, yeah, you know what? That's what we should do. And 15 other people say, yeah, they, you know, that's what the Bible says. All of a sudden, we're taking those 20, 30, 40 different thoughts and combine them into one mind. And we're taking the Bible to use it to drive our decisions. Philippians 3.16 says this. Nevertheless, this is Paul writing again. Nevertheless, whereto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, the Bible. Let us mind the same thing, the Bible. So when we begin to think and we begin to use our minds to move forward, to strive together, we have to start with Scripture. 1 Peter 1.22, Peter says this, a different writer, seeing you have purified your soul in obeying the truth through the spirit of unfeigned love of the brethren, see that you love one another with a pure heart fervently. We too are bound to love one another. There's 13 one another's in the Bible where we're to love one another 13 different ways. And this one is through truth. We are to love one another with oneness through truth. There is no unity like the unity or oneness that comes through a shared doctrine through the word of God. When you can look at scripture and we can sit down and we can have a Bible study and we can agree on scripture... There is something about that that creates a bond that can't be broken. And so when we begin to lay our foundation on the word of God, and we begin to look at 2 Timothy 3.16, and it says all scripture is given by inspiration of God that is profitable for doctrine, for reproof and correction. There's sometimes where we need to be corrected. My son and daughter, they know that often. They get corrected often. For instruction in righteousness. It just doesn't end with the correction. It sits down with them and it says, listen, you did this wrong. Do you know why you did this wrong? Yesterday, an illustration of this, we're sitting there in the van 
and we went to Walmart to get something, and Brody disobeyed mom. And so I told Brody, when you get home, guess what? You're going to your room. And so I went to his room, and I said, Brody, do you know why you're in your room? And he said, yeah, I disobeyed mom. I said, okay, this is what your punishment's going to be. You're going to get a spanking no matter what because you disobeyed mom. Now you get to pick between one of two things that you don't get to do today. We're going to set up a slip inside in the front yard. We're going to have water guns. We're going to have a water day. We're also going to be shooting off fireworks tonight. Which do you not want to do? I want to do both, Dad. Sorry, you disobeyed. Something gets taken away. So in life, there is correction. There's also instruction in righteousness in this, that the man of God may be complete, may be perfect, thoroughly furnished into all good works. But it starts in the mind. It starts in the word of God. And when we think about this, the early church practiced and preached this to them. Now, this was contrary to the culture. The culture was saying, do something totally different. But the church was saying, you know what, we've got to come together. It sort of sounds like the culture today, doesn't it? How much division, how much divisiveness can we have? And the church still must be the one thing that's united in this world. The church must still be the one thing that says, you know what, we're going to stand firm on what we believe, and what we believe is the Bible. And if it goes against the Bible, I'm going to have to stand against it. Because the Bible tells me my way of living. And so we must be a people that is taking the Bible seriously, that sometimes is going to have to go against the culture, that is sometimes going to have to say, you know what, my obedience lies with Christ. It doesn't rely on President Trump. As much as I'm a fan of Donald Trump and what he's done for the Christian world, my obedience still lies with the Bible. And if Donald Trump says something that goes against my Bible, I'm going to have to go against Donald Trump. And so in our life, we must live that way. And it's not just in words, but it's through our actions. It's not just saying that I'm going to obey this, but it's living that way. And when we look at the local church, when we look at the first church, they had to do that. They had to stand against certain things. And they were unified around the thing that they held dear. They held dear to the gospel. They held dear to the words that Jesus spoke. And that was the unifying thing that drove them in their one spirit and their one mind. And then the third thing in this verse is one faith. One faith. There's a battle raging today. It's raging, and I said this two weeks ago when I preached, it's raging for our families. And the older I get as a father, the more that I see the devil in those two young little kids. <laughs> okay? And it's not in a fun, good way, uh, but it's in a way of disobedience because it's their human nature. It's the human devil inside of them coming out. And so as a father, I want to, as Jude says, Fight for the faith that was once delivered unto the saints. And I, as a father, must fight for them to receive that faith. In Philippians 1.27, it says that you stand fast. I said that. And as a group of people, we must be a people who cherish the faith. And we rally around the faith. It's like a football team or a football gathering, and, and they rally around that one common enemy. We're going to beat Hickory. We're going to beat whoever. And they begin to rally around that one cause. And we as a church must rally around one single cause, and that's to beat the devil. It's to go out and see the gospel proclaimed everywhere we go. 
So how do we stand fast in the faith of unity? What does this even look like? How, I mean, yeah, I love the Bible, and hey, I can get behind that, but how does that even look like? I mean, how do we apply that? I wrote down these two things. The first is this, personally. Personally, you must stand behind the one faith. And what that means, first off, is that you must be a born-again Christian. If you have never accepted Jesus, then you can't stand behind the faith that we're talking about. You can't stand behind something that you don't even believe in. As a five-year-old boy, I understood that I needed Jesus. I'm not saying every five-year-old is going to get saved, but I knew at five years old I needed Jesus in my life. And so I accepted that gift that he gave me. Now, did I live right the whole rest of my life? No, I make mistakes. I still make mistakes. I still make my wife mad. I still do things that are stupid. Uh, but I know that God's there to forgive us. I know he's there to give us that way of forgiveness. And so, one, you have to be born again. Two, you have to say, you know what? If I am a born-again Christian personally, then I can't deny Jesus Monday through Saturday and expect to come in on church on Sunday and say, yeah, I love Jesus. Personally, you must be living for Jesus every single day. This is why Paul in 1 Timothy warned Timothy and he said this, Take heed unto yourself and unto the doctrine, continuing them. He didn't say, do this on Sunday. He didn't say, whatever you come to church, do this. He said, continue in them. It's a continual phrase of always continually doing this. For in doing so, if you do this, you're going to both save yourself and those that hear you. If you continue in the faith personally and you live this life out, you're going to save yourself, and you're also going to save the ones that are around you because they're going to see that your life is lived for Jesus, and they're going to say, what is so different about that person? Why is he living such a radical, crazy life, and I want to know what's wrong with him? And then you're able to go and say, yeah, you know what's wrong with me? I've got Jesus in my life. That's what's wrong with me. Okay, that's why I'm so crazy. That's why I'm so pumped up about Jesus because he's in my life, and I want you to know about him. But it starts personally. When individual members of a church share a personal commitment to the faith, they are unified as they stand for the faith and in the church life. When we are personally unified, personally knit together because of the gospel, we are able to stand together. We are able to strive together. Titus 1.9 says this, holding fast. Holding fast. Not just like I'm running down the road really, really fast and so I'm going to hold on to the Bible. No, this is holding just as much as you possibly can, not letting it go from you. The faithful words that has been taught. The words that were taught to you in first grade, in second grade when you were in Sunday school. Because I can mention my Sunday school teachers that taught into me and invested in me. When you begin to hold those faithful words that have been taught to you, that you may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers, the ones that are nagging against you, the ones that are saying there's nothing about this Christian life. Did you hear that pastor who embezzled? Did you hear that abuse case? There's everything's wrong with the church, and I can't believe you go to church because you're going to hear that in the workplace. You're able to look at the Word of God, and you're able to say that this doctrine has changed my life. We're not all perfect. Politicians make mistakes. Everyone else makes mistakes. 
but the word of God is able to convict me and able to deliver me personally. So first, it has to be personal. Because if it's not personal to you, then you won't personally take it out and share it with others. And so we must personally have that faith. Secondly, it must be corporately. This is when a church stands for the faith as a unified body. I want to ask you something. Do you care about impacting Hidden Night, North Carolina? Do you care about impacting Stony Point and Sugarloaf and Taylorsville and all the other surrounding smaller communities around us? Do we care about corporately impacting their community? Do you care about Hidnight and the children at Hidnight and the ones that are unloved and the ones that don't have anything? Do we care about those? I want to say yes, we do. But it's a question to ask us, do corporately, do we stand behind this faith? Because if you go to my office right now, you can look on my whiteboard behind me. And it's been up there for about a year now. And on there, there's a number and it says 8,430. Does anybody know what 8,430 means or represents? You want to take a guess at what 8,430 means? Not the number of people in Hidnight. It's the number of teenagers under 18 that live in Alexander County. And every day when I walk into my office and I see that on my board, I pray for the 8,430 under 18 people in Alexander County. Because I care about our community. And if the little thing that I can do right now is just pray for them, I will. If that's all that I can do right now is just pray for them, I will. And as a corporate body of believers, how are we impacting our community? Because I'll say this, if we're impacting our community, we're going to receive opposition. Opposition will come if you're impacting your community. Because someone's not going to like it. And that someone's the devil. And so we must look at ourselves and we must say, how am I impacting Hidden Night, North Carolina? Because that's where we're at. I care about Taylorsville and I care about Stony Point and, and Sugarloaf. And those are communities that I love. But Hidden Night's where I live. Hidden Night is the place where we're building a house. Hidden Night's the place where we're coming and settling in. And so I want to see Hidden Night changed by the glory of God through this local assembly. And so we have to ask ourselves corporately, what are we doing to impact our community? And I know right now it's hard because we can't do a lot of things. But when the time comes when we can do those things, what are we going to do? How are we going to corporately, through the faith, impact our community? Because you see, I said, if we're impacting our community, there will be opposition. The very next verse that Paul says, he says, one faith, one mind, one spirit, striving together for the faith. Why does he say all this? Look at the very next verse. And in nothing terrifying by your adversaries, which is to them the evident of token of perdition. There are people that are out there that are going to come against you. Do not be frightened by your adversaries, one version says. Because your adversaries are going to come. And so as we look at the one faith, as we look at the one mind, as we look at the one spirit, now we're going to sort of encapsulate this all into striving together. The unified efforts of the church at Philippi didn't just happen in a vacuum. Everybody understand what that statement means? It's not just an echo chamber where seven people are in a room and they're all echoing the same thing that's going on. This was a result of thousands and thousands of people that were being changed and we're rallying behind this thought of one spirit, one mind, and one faith. It was like a team, the mindset of a team that's working together to see 
the gospel been shared into the entire world. It was 40 men and women that sat in an upper room that waited for the Holy Spirit to come. And when the Holy Spirit came, they did everything they could to turn the world upside down. And that's what unifies us. As I began thinking of, of a team that, that sort of exemplified this, I, I originally wrote down a basketball team. A basketball team with five guys or girls, if you're looking at a women's team, working together to make one single basket. And you work and you practice and you do everything you can. You sweat and you die on the court. My brother told me last night, we were over here with the shooting off fireworks. He came home and my brother's with us right now. And he said, uh, he said, James, I'm not 16 anymore. <laughs> he played with Corbin and Rich and Nick. And he came home, he said, man, I'm hurting. I'm 29 years old. There's young guys out there, not Rich. Rich is older than everyone. But uh, he, said the, he said, Nick and, and Corbin, man, they killed me. He said, I'm not as young as I used to be. Okay, but it's, think of this basketball. I'm sure you guys have been to a basketball game before. You've seen a basketball before. Think of a basketball where five guys are working together to go down the court to make one single basket. Okay, it's not one guy against five it's five guys working together against five other guys and what happens is when they work together they're able to pass the ball they're able to make some moves that I can't ever do never have been able to do because I'm a big fat white guy um, they're able to do some things to where the guy that's the main shooter the point guard the guy that's the good shooter the LeBron the Stefan whoever you want it to be gets the ball and makes the basket now, they all five worked together to make that happen. Now, one guy got the glory, which is fine, but they all five worked together. Maybe he missed the big guy down low, which would have been me, got the rebound, okay, boxed out, used his butt, okay, that's what I did, okay. Uh, he got the rebound, he was able to pass it back to the guy that was shooter, and he got to shoot and make the basket. They worked together, okay, and as I began thinking of that, this morning when I was in the shower, I began thinking of another team illustration. And I remember yesterday, as I was, the illustrations come to me at weird different times. I don't, I'm a weird guy, I know. I began looking, I began thinking, I drove right by, I don't even know where we were going. It may have been to get something. Uh, we went to Little Stitches yesterday, that's what it was. And uh, it was an ice cream place down there. It was a pretty good place, a little drive in, uh, drive up, little cart, had ice cream. We rode by and I told my brother, I said, hey, you see that sign right there? I said, our community is known for this. Okay, anybody know what that sign would have been right there at the corner? State championship. Ten state championships. Monty won nine of those ten, I think, right? Nine of those ten? Okay, nine of those ten. I said, I said, our county is known for softball. This morning when I was showering, that came to my mind, and I began thinking of a softball or baseball player. Eleven people out there. Okay, let's say you're in the outfield. Okay, you're the outermost person, the guy, the hitter up at the base, pitch comes and he hits it all the way out to where you're at, the very outfield. There's 11 people out there and that one person decides, you know what, I am fast, I'm going to get this ball and I'm going to run as fast as I can to home plate and I'm going to get this person out. I don't care that there's 10 other people out here that I can throw the ball to, I'm just going to do everything myself. Okay, how many of you think that that person in the furthest most outfield is going to be able to run all the way to home base and make it to home base before that hitter makes it around three bases? 
Okay, I don't think that Hussein Bolt could do that. Okay, and he's the fastest man in the world. Okay, but when you use the other 10 people that are around you to help you, you could get that person out because you're unified around one common thought. And as our musicians play, I want you to think about this as a church. As we strive together as a church, as a team, we must ask ourselves this question. What is my role in the team? What is my role in the body of believers? Because we're a body. The Bible says that we're a body of believers. Christ is the head, and we're all the body. So when we ask ourselves, what does God want me to be in the body of the church? Okay, we're all not going to be the right hand, or we won't go anywhere. We all can't be the left foot, or we won't go anywhere. We all have a specific purpose and a specific plan in the body. So we have to ask God, am I going to be the quarterback? Am I going to be the big lineman down the line blocking, fighting the devil off? Am I going to be the Sunday school teacher? Am I going to be the person that's going to be out just loving children? What is it going to be and how is it going to look like in your life? In a season like any other that we've ever faced before as a church, all around the world, not just our church, churches all around the world are facing the exact same thing that we're going through. As we return to worship, as we begin looking for a new pastor, may we heed the instruction that Paul says. May we be like a championship rowing team. Those men on that rowboat, and they're all rowing in synchronization, going in one common direction, going in one common movement, striving together for the goal that's set before them. Because in the end, we're going to get to that goal, and we're going to ask ourselves, did we do everything we could to get to that goal, to see people saved? Are we doing everything we can to see our community changed and to see relationships changed, lives changed through the relationships that we've made? And it starts with these three simple points. One spirit, one mind, and one faith. So as Mark comes and leads us, I'm going to close this in prayer and we'll go into communion. Maybe this is a time where you can say, you know what, I haven't had one mind with someone else. I've struggled spiritually with someone else. I know right now it's hard to go to someone, but I think every single person in here brings this little device with them. Maybe it's a time where you just pull your phone out and you text someone and say, hey, I'm sorry for the words I said. And just apologize before we go into communion. Use a time to where we can have open hearts and clean hearts before God before we go into this time of taking the Lord's Supper. Father, I want to come and thank you. Lord, I pray that you would just have your will and way with us today. As we strive together, as we look to you as the one that is driving us toward you. It's crazy that thought, but you're driving us to you. And so I pray that you would help us to take this word and love it ever more than we ever have. And I just thank you, Father, for what you've done in your name we pray. Amen. Let's all stand. Thank you for listening. Please remember to drop a rating and subscribe to get our latest audio.